This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 636. And the quote of the day is, talent is a gift, but your attitude, work ethic, and character are things you have to develop yourself. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 636 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, as if you don't know the name of the podcast that you're listening to. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. If this is the first episode you've ever listened to, I appreciate you. If this is the 636th episode, uh, I thank you for that as well. And if you're somewhere in the middle, that's all good too. I appreciate you as well. And today I got a great conversation with Mr. Ben Atkins from the band Goose. And Goose is a jam band that is on a meteoric rise right now. And the thing I love about this band, one, they I, I'm a huge Fish fan, as, as most of you know, but I never got into jam bands. And for some reason, I started listening to Goose and I was like, oh. I like, I really like these guys. So, uh, played in the jam band scene, but never really dove deep into the jam band world other than fish, but really dig this band. Secondly, they are what I call a homegrown band, four guys that started together. Now it's five and just grew this band from the ground up. And I love that. I love the story of just grinding it out and playing in front of no one and then 20 people and 50 and then a hundred and then a thousand. Like, I love that story. And we talk about all of that in this episode and about how they did that and really how they thrived during the pandemic and some really unique things that they did to grow their fan base. They actually came out of pandemic more popular than they were when they went into the pandemic, which is crazy. So we talk about that and a lot more. I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's get into it with Mr. Ben Atkin. Ben, what's happening, my man? Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me, dude. Of course. Thanks for thanks for being here. I was, I all the time. I'm always, you know, doing um, doing the research on on people that were coming on. The interesting thing is, so I, I told you off air that I'm a big fish fan. Uh, got into you guys more recently uh, through a mutual friend, and was like, oh, this is like a band that that has broken through. So I was like, let me do some more research. And I'm like, so I go on and I search for goose. All right. And I'm reading and I'm like, this doesn't, this can't, this isn't right. This is, oh, you, found, you found the Belgians. I found the Belgians. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's a common thing that for the longest time, even still recently, sometimes some venues will see, well, like, oh, well, that's a show and they'll post a picture of these like four Belgian dudes who we've all in goose. <laughs> we, we, we've now picked like that's which amazing. one of us, which one of them is us. So. That's, that's, yeah, that's that's part of the course at this point. So this is a stupid question, but like uh, it causes problems, right? So what is Uh, there like, yes and no, I mean, something going to happen from that? No, I mean, the the thing is at first when Goose was picked as a name, like Rick came up with a name and it was when Goose was, you know, a bar band playing to her friends and it was never like that serious of a thing. And then it developed, you know, just organically and over the years and it got serious. And now it's to the point where like, we're kind of stuck with that. And I, I love the name, but. Yeah, there's like a Belgian EDM group that's really big, also called Goose. Um, and it's been confusing, like briefly for a couple of people, but honestly, like people can figure it out pretty mm-hmm. easily. 
And like, we're not stepping on their right. turf. Like, I, like their music is great. You know, they have their thing and they're, it's like very different. It's not like we're both jam bands called Goose in the same scene. Um, right. So I mean, right. I'd, lo- I'd love to do like, you know, a Goose festival. We have Goose and Goose, you know. <laughs> It'd be amazing. And, like, and just team up. It's easy. We'll save money on marketing. Only have to use, a, you know, use less le- letters like everywhere. So I like it. I like it. Well, it's only confusing for, for, you know, lowly podcast hosts uh, and, uh, and the like. So, uh, so I want to rewind a little bit because I, I know that you, you studied with Dave Desenzo, who I had on the podcast, who was like, in my opinion, one of the greatest drummers sort of ever, not only from a tech, technical prowess. And then also from, from just understanding rhythmically, he also happens to be an amazing human being. Uh, but before that, what what led you to wanting to go to Berkeley, wanting to study at Berkeley? I know you started with piano, switched over to drums. Um, was it, were you thinking this was going to be a career for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember being eight years old with my dad in line to get my first concert snare drum. Um, when I was eight, actually, that's when I started going to the summer camp. That was a creative arts camp uh, called the Charles River Creative Arts Program. And a big thing in that program was music. And they'd have all these band classes where you'd go in and it'd be a rock band or a jazz band. And um, I kind of came into that environment and just loved it and started studying with the drum teacher from that camp. I I then studied with for the next eight years. Um, And music was, it was always my thing. And and then, you know, growing up outside of Boston, you hear about Berkeley and I did a five week program uh, in high school and just, became obsessed. And and after that, I started studying with a Berkeley teacher who was randomly assigned to me at the five-year program, uh, Sean Skeet. And, and I go to his house outside of Boston uh, my whole senior year and studied with him. And like, he really kicked my ass on like, like syncopation, a, a lot of things just like really getting me ready for what was coming up at school. Um, but I, I don't know, mm-hmm. I'd always been obsessed with, with Berkeley and that environment and just learning all the, the jazz fusion and following the drummers on drummerworld.com and everything. And uh, it, it's just yeah. been my life as long as I can remember. How intimidating is it when you, when you arrive at Berkeley? Because, well, let me, for me, I'm sure I would have walked in there and I'd be like, I'm the greatest drummer in the world. And then I would quickly realize <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I'm number 37 of 37 on, you know, of everyone there. So uh, how intimidating was it for you? Uh, yeah, I could say it was a pretty similar experience. Um, but, but almost as fast as you get humbled, you start to find these other people that are in your same position or similar, or at the very least understanding what you're trying to do and pursuing the same thing. And you find yourself around all these like-minded people and you end up learning just as much from the other drummers as you do from the teachers. Uh, and it's, it's a competitive environment. It's overwhelming, but it's also really inspiring. And, and most of those people that are just like absolutely filthy, just in the drum rooms, you know, uh, you know, 171 Mass Ave, I think it is years, it's been years, but those people that have crowds of people inside their room, most, uh, most often those people are like, if you ask them about what they're doing, they love to be like, oh, this is this pattern I've been working on. And, and it's, it's a really cool environment for learning. You would think that when you get in there, it's going to be this, and I, I guess my, this is my experience from, from going to school for music. I didn't go to Berkeley, but you think it's going to be sort of this really competitive sort of cutthroat environment. And it ends up being a really nice, warm, welcoming sort of nurturing environment where everyone's just trying to get better, but also help other people get better at the same time. Yeah, a hundred percent. And more often than not, the people that do have an attitude or like do get too competitive, those are the people that aren't going to get gigs anyways, no matter how good they are. Cause you know, there's a whole other side of what, what gets you work as a musician. 
Right. Right. So how, how, um, how important do you think it was going to Berkeley in terms of getting gigs or was that a whole other skill that you had to develop on your own? Berkeley was, it, it was kind of like a huge step in getting me up to a professional level and preparing me for gigs. Um, you know, as far as where I ended up now with Goose, that's something that I, I don't know how you prepare for that. You just kind of end up in a situation that you, you know, think as a future and, and you give it everything that you have. Um, Ber- Berkeley really set me up to be like a well-rounded musician. You know, there was, there was a time I was considering, you know, pursuing teaching, like uh, going abroad uh, to teach at the college level. And, you know, I, I've been doing some studio work. Um and playing in all these corporate gigs, weddings, clubs, and and you name it. Uh, and Berkeley was great for that. But as far as like touring and the jam scene, like, and what I do now, it, a lot of it really just comes from experience and uh, just kind of hoping you get the right group of people around you to make it happen. Sure, sure. So talk to me about the formation of Goose. I I love I love what I call homegrown bands. Uh, and you know, I was in one for a long time and, and didn't quite get over the hump. Uh, but I love the idea of four guys, five guys, friends, whatever, getting together and building something from the ground up. Uh, I'm a, I'm a much, much bigger fan of that than just people being sort of like plucked and placed into a situation. Yeah, for um, sure. So what, what was it like for you guys building this band? Yeah. So, um, I met Rick uh at it, it, at berkeley in a fusion ensemble it was kim plainfield uh rest in peace kim he was another one of my main teachers uh legendary drummer um and he was the the teacher for a fusion ensemble and we played like snarky puppy songs and like schofield stuff and all, all that kind of stuff and uh rick was one of three guitarists in the class and I, I didn't know him outside of the class and he was like just the quiet kid who ripped and uh exchange information after the class and, and that was really that and then maybe I don't, I don't know how many months later i got a call from him saying that he had a couple of his hometown buddies in connecticut that were starting this group and they were looking for a drummer uh and i went to connecticut that that next weekend and played a couple gigs and and that was kind of the start of a long musical relationship between uh rick and trevor uh lead guitar vocals and bass and goose uh mm-hmm. those those guys were in that original project which uh came to be known as Vasudo. Um, and I, I played in that for maybe a, probably less than a year before leaving to, to go back to Boston and, and kind of try to attempt to make money as a musician doing weddings and things like that. And uh, that band kept going and went through a handful of, of other drummers and then ended up stopping. And then at about the time that I was getting pretty frustrated with, uh, you know, having a boss and doing the whole corporate side of music, Mm-hmm. Uh, which was never really something I, I envisioned myself doing. Right about that time, uh, Rick and Trevor started to get together to form a new band, and that was Goose. And you know, here we are now. I think over seven years later. Nice, nice. Uh, the one of the biggest things that I that I found hard in the beginning was developing a fan base, and. For you guys, I'm sure that you you went through the same thing. But there was were there particular things that you were doing to to grow the fan base, or were you uh, was it just a natural sort of progression of things? Yeah, I mean, we were grinding really hard, uh, touring and not making a lot of money. 
and I get it. it. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of had to uh, had to lower your your perspective on what a successful night is. You know what what used to be a successful night of music is a packed dance floor and a good paycheck. And now you kind of had to get yourself in the mindset of if there is one person in the room who falls in love to the point that they will tell their friends and spread it. So when we come back next time, it'll grow that then we've done our job. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of that. And it, it takes literally like hammering these small venues in these cities where, you know, no one, it takes doing that. And, and, and really it's important to be smart doing that. You know, I, I have a lot of friends in other bands and seen a lot of bands touring and get burnt out, uh, doing it not in the most strategic way. And uh, it, it's really important to just kind of keep a good attitude and get ready to grind until it starts to snowball and, uh, you know, spread a little quicker. Do you feel like you guys had a breakout gig that really, that, that maybe you were like, oh, okay, maybe we're on to something here or, or something that got you a decent amount of notoriety? Yeah, for sure. It was, it was actually kind of like a one-two punch. Um, First, we played uh, our really good friends in a band called Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. Uh, had, they had us on their festival and they gave us the time slot. It was like, you know, the stage right next to the main stage that was in between the set breaks and changeovers. Mm -hmm. So so we ended up kind of getting this, you know, main main stage time frame crowd uh, being this younger band. Nice. And and we kind of we just we kind of killed those sets there and left an impression. and. Peter, our keyboard player, who was brand new at the time, within I think like 24 or 48 hours, like that next Monday, had a, an HD multicam video edited of our performance. And, you know, it was the first band from anyone at the festival to get footage out. And it, it was awesome. And then I think within the next week or two, after getting buzzed from that, it drew people to our set at Peach, uh, the Peach Festival. Mm -hmm. And we had like, you know, an afternoon time slot at a small stage and people showed up. Like all of a sudden there was just the biggest crowd I'd ever seen in front of us. And we, I think, played a, played a pretty decent set and kind of you know, did what we needed to do. And then things kind of catapulted from there. When you're building this band, uh, there's obviously there's there's a little bit of luck involved you know like you said that you had sort of this this one-two punch of uh of the video coming or, or landing really well at this at this time slot the video coming out and all of that um but how how do you suggest that that other people deal with not only the ups and downs like but the uncertainty and how do you know you know sometimes you look at a band and you're like this band's not going anywhere. You can sort of, you know, not to be harsh, but you can once in a while you can look at a band and, and figure that out. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you suggest that people evaluate what they're doing and like, okay, am I in something where I'm grinding or am I in something that's, that's just not going anywhere? And how do you deal with those ups and downs? Yeah. I mean, it's really tough. I mean, ever since I was at Berkeley, I remember having a number of projects that, you know, made me have the thought like, you know, this could be a future. This has potential. And each one of those, you know, fell through for one reason or another. And I think the biggest thing is it's all about the people. Uh, everyone needs to be able to get along. You all need to be able to have the same goals and work towards that. Um, and, you know, even if you have problems or people have issues between each other, as long as everyone's, you know, focused on that goal and you really believe that you're, you know, the music you're making has the potential to, to really reach a wider audience. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really hard not to get discouraged playing empty shows, but like, that's really what it takes. And it takes doing that and kind of 
learning the lessons involved in doing that kind of makes you, you know, a little weathered and a little tougher going forward into, you know, the situations that you really are going to need to be ready for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if there was like a quick, easier way to just skip all that stuff, I, you know, I, I would, I'd love to hear it, but <laughs> uh, I, I don't really know. It's just, just, you got to grind and you got to know it's not going to come easy and you have to fully believe in the music and you have to work at the music. You have to be willing to really put in the time and practice, listen back to recordings, critique each other and, and figure out how to make it better. Mm -hmm. What about growing pains that you guys have had in the band? You know, you start, you're getting bigger, you're playing bigger venues. There's, there's, uh, there's a lot more moving parts. There's people who are working for you now. There's, you know, it be, it starts to become uh, a thing in, in and of itself. And along with that comes growing pains, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because a, a number of aspects of, of touring and like this life are getting easier because of the success, but also uh, there's a lot more eyes on us. It's a lot more pressure. Um, and we definitely feel that. I mean, to be honest, like things feel really, really great right now. Like we I feel like we've gotten through a lot of the growing pains. Um, mm -hmm. And like now we're kind of, you know, came out the other end and we're all, you know, feeling happy playing music together and things are just sitting right. It's like we're, we find ourselves at rehearsal as being excited. Um, you know, we're, we're showing up happy to play and, you know, like not just trying to make it quick and, and skip out. Like right, right now, like we're practicing more than ever. Um, and and I, I think that's just going to continue. And as long as we were excited about the music, I think it's going to keep coming out in the shows. And, and mm -hmm. that's really what's going to, you know, reach those fans and get them to latch on yeah there's i mean there's always the 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 thing that you can't put your finger on when when you look at a band and they're and they're playing and you can tell that they're really enjoying it and there's there's some synergy with with everyone in the band and everyone's getting along and everything and sure there's pro bands that go out there and you know, you hear stories all the time where it's like the drummer and the bass player don't even talk and they hate each other, but they go out on stage and they can play music. But there's something to be said about a band that that is just they're friends and they're really enjoying the music and there's no animosity. That definitely comes out in the performance and the crowd can definitely feel that. Yeah, 100%. for sure. I mean, and, and like, don't get me wrong. We, we have our arguments. We butt heads. Of course. But, we're, but we're, we work through them and that's the most important part. And, and also like because like we're all we're all very different people and that's another thing that i kind of lead i think leads to a unique sound because we all have very different influences and that kind of comes together to make something that's very unique um and and i think it also it takes that to stand out mm -hmm. yeah and you know i think that the the reason why people butt heads in in bands a lot of the time is because they're so passionate about what's going on you know like this is our this is our craft. This is our love. This is our art that we're that we're putting out there. And, and of course, there's going to be passion and, and tension and, and heated arguments about it. Yeah, hundred percent. But I'll, I'll tell you what, it feels pretty great getting to, you know, know we've been through a lot of that, and now we're here getting getting to do it like we're doing it. That's good. I'm happy to hear that. Um, you would talk. You would talk about it in a different interview that I read um, about your you're pretty dense jazz study and, and, you know, you study with Dave Dicenzo and, and I know that there's a heavy influence on jazz with the stuff that he does. How has, how has learning jazz helped you 
with your approach in a jam band? Because as you had mentioned, I don't know if you said it off air or, or we were recording, but that you weren't in the jam band scene and, and you didn't listen to jam, you know Fish and all these other bands until much later. Um, so how, how has that helped with your approach in playing jam music? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, like I tell all my students, it, whether you like jazz or not, if you learn it, you will be a better drummer. Um, and, and that's because really just a lot of the, the coordination that goes into it, all those jazz syncopation exercises, getting all the 4A independence. To play in a jam band, you, you really need to have all that independence and, and all that background because to be you know, a great jam band musician, it, it's not about being able to play in necessarily the most technically crazy things. It's about kind of being a chameleon, I guess, and being able to you know, whatever the the moment calls for, being able to play that without getting tripped up by, you know, some coordination thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that's the biggest thing that gets in people's way is maybe not the biggest thing, but a lot of times I feel like that's the, that's the thing that gets in people's way where they're, they have these ideas in their head, but they just can't execute them behind the kit. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. And, and, and all those exercises, like it, what's actually been really cool for me, because I, I haven't been teaching as much recently, but over the last years, I've, al I've always taught, uh, whether it's at schools or privately. Um, but recently, I've had a, a couple students that are, you know, jam band drummers that are really solid drummers and like can play great, nice groove, nice feel, great ears. Uh, and getting to teach them some of these things and, and seeing kind of like their world open up as they find themselves, you know, able to do these things that were in their head that they didn't understand before. Mm -hmm. It's, it's to me, a lot of times when the, the, uh, when I want to say this without coming across the wrong way, but a lot of times when there's young, if there's younger players that want to learn and you're teaching them, Oh, okay. Work out of the syncopation book or work out of the Gary Chester book or work out of this, work out of that. Um, I think a lot of times they think that it's going to make them square or, or it's going to take away some of their, their freedom of, of playing, but it's really helping them build the building blocks to then go express the things that they want to express. Yeah, absolutely. It's I like mean, the weight room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I usually found, especially with younger kids who don't really have the foresight there, uh, I'll kind of be like, all right, here's this exercise. Like, yeah, it's not that cool, but check it out if you work at it. And then I'll play something really flashy with it. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And then you're like, well, you, do you like this thing? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm playing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it just takes a second. The Mapex Black Panther Design Lab Series snares are amazing, and so are the artist drums. Designed by Russ Miller, the Versatus, Maple Mahogany Hybrid Shell offers a naturally pre-processed sound with just the right amount of low-end, articulation, and punch. A single SAS ring on the batter side only, a unique bearing edge combination, and the ideal depth size proportion all contribute to the perfect balance of strength, functionality, feel, and beauty for all playing situations. This drum is available in both a 14 by six and a half and a 14 by four and five eighths. To learn more about the Versatus and the rest of the entire Design Lab series, check out mapexdrums.com. Get ready for the new Promark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. 
Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with ProMatch. Only ProMatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, Promark shows its commitment to the environment with Play, Plant, Preserve. Promark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play Promark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. What was it like studying with Dave? Uh, the greatest thing ever. And he, I, I can't say one negative thing about the guy. Um, great person. He, like he's, he's a teacher who, who truly cares about every student. And that's really important, especially, you know, at Berkeley, you get some of these, some big name teachers. And I've definitely had some over the years that kind of phoned it, phoned it in a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and Dave is not one of those people. Uh, he really cares about every student. He's like, just a man he's a great guy great vibe you walk in there and uh you know you better hope you're prepared because you know he'll call you out if you're not prepared he, he would definitely push me uh and I, I learned a ton from the guy it was, it was awesome I, I think i had about two years of one-on-one hour lessons with him and then mm-hmm. a handful of other drum labs as well what do you, what were some of the main things that you took from your time with him um yeah man one of the <laughs> actually this is something that that I, I thought was so cool. I'll never forget this lesson. Um, I was in a double bass drum lab with him and I'm not a double pedal player. I just, mm-hmm. I took the lab because I wanted another class with Dave and uh, we're, we're in there one day and it's probably like, I don't know, five or seven students and him and we're coming back one day and he's calling us one at a time to, for us to get up on the drum set in front of everyone and show that we practice the homework and, and you know, play these double pedal lines. And th- this guy is going, and uh, he botches it and keeps messing up and he starts to get really stressed and starts sweating. And he's like, man, guys, like, like Dave, I swear I practiced these. I was nailing it. Like, and, and he's really, you know, overcome and he, he feels really bad. And uh, Dave just stops him. and He's like, hey, like, listen, he's like, don't worry about it. It's all good. He's like, just do me a favor. Just humor me for a second. He's like, try one more time. But give me the biggest shitting, uh, sorry, the biggest shit eating grin that you could ever do on your face. And like everyone kind of cracks up a little bit. And he's like, we're like, what? He's like, seriously, just do it again, but have the biggest shit eating grin on your face. Just smile. And he's like, okay. And he does it and he nails it. And Dave proceeds to tell us the lesson here is that, you know, when you're stressed and you're worried about things and you're grinding your teeth, that's, you know, tension in your body. And if you're feeling that, you know, somewhere in your body, it's going to spread out spread throughout and your limbs mm-hmm. aren't going to be relaxed and they're not going to respond like they should to be able to pull these things off. And so like the lesson was just like, take a second, breathe and smile and enjoy it. And it's going to actually make playing easier. Um, and that, that kind of just like blew me away. Like we all watched that happen. Like he went from just fumbling to nailed it and then just, you know, had a big grin on his face the rest of class, obviously. Uh, That's but amazing. Yeah, yeah. David just, you know, he, he'd always, he was really good about, 
uh, letting you work on what you wanted to work on, but also making sure to balance in the things he thought you should work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I definitely spent a lot of time asking to like, just like trade soloing and, you know, learn, you know, when I was really into the gospel chops, get some of that stuff. And, and he was great with that. But then also we, we got out all these exercises out of his book, uh, learned a whole lot about metric modulation with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a really cool environment. I, I really miss the guy and miss working with him. I mean, that's his, that's sort of, I, I'm going to say that's his bag, but that makes it sound like, like he's a one trick pony, which he is not. Yeah, uh, he can literally but, do anything. It, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, backwards too. It, yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but metric, like all the metric modulation stuff that he does is just so, not only is it just absolutely insane, but it's it always feels good. It sounds good. Like his phrasing, just the way that he approaches everything, uh, it's just it it always blows my mind the stuff that he can do. Yeah, he's on another level. He's one of those guys that I think like the guys that know him know who he is and what he can do. Right. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've seen that that two ton or uh, uh, yeah. two ton shoe video. Yeah, yeah, And then Mike Mangini at the end, like freaking out. He's freaking out. That's yeah. the icing on the cake right there. I I can't tell you how many times I've seen that video. Too many. Yeah. If if you're listening and you've never seen it, look up. Just look up two ton shoe, and uh, it's Dave Desenzo playing and then soloing. At uh, this club, uh, well, I think it's while he's at, at Berkeley. It was at uh, Harper's Ferry. Uh, it's now Brighton Music Hall. There you go. There you go. And uh, but he, it was while he was at Berkeley, right? I think so. Yeah. I, well, yeah. he he started teaching there like right when he got done going to school there. So I, I'm not sure exactly at, at what right. point there how old he was in that video. Either way, <laughs> whenever it was, uh, he is uh, just absolutely destroying the drum kit yeah uh and mike mangini is is in the front row and he's going crazy as well like freaking out and everything yeah. so it's a good video to watch <laughs> you should definitely check it out absolutely um so i i got and i got to imagine that the the metric modulation stuff that you learned from him uh transfers into the into the stuff that you're you're playing because jam music is is different because there's so much there's active listening that's going on, obviously, but then you're playing off of what other people are playing. And then if you're getting into, you know, some metric modulation, you can really take some of these jams pretty far out as long as you know where the one is and, and where your uh, you know, where your home base is. Yeah, I've definitely gotten comfortable using some of that stuff in the jam setting. Uh, it's kind of tough because you want to find a balance between you know, keeping people dancing and, and not ruining that because I'm thinking about drum nerdy stuff. So mm-hmm. it, it's really, it, it it's tough, but there, there are situations that you can kind of apply it naturally and make it feel good. Um, and it's, it's super fun for me. And, and the guys that I play with have definitely gotten more used to, to, to dealing with it when I do that kind of stuff. <laughs> I like how you use the word dealing with it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you get the look back and you're like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's one of two looks. It's like a smirk look if you're doing it well, or if it's like a it's like a head shaky look if it's like sloppy or, or not on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the uh, the one drummer in the audience is is going to appreciate it, but everyone else isn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, what is what's the what's the thought process behind or the approach of of playing what's right for the music? I mean, is is there 
it's such an intangible, but but I think it's an important thing to to constantly be thinking about and to be and to be learning as especially as younger players. Yeah, I mean it's it's really tough to know if you're playing the right thing until I actually hear the recording after. Um, so the, there are definitely a lot of moments where I'm like, I wonder if this is the right thing here. And I've found that the less you think about that and the more you just kind of are like, here we are, let's, let's go with it. I'm in it. I hope it's right. Whatever. Let's just see what happens. Uh, the more you can kind of get into that attitude, I think, uh, you know, your, your ideas come out a little bit freer and, and things sound a little bit more natural. Sure. So I, you had mentioned before that you weren't, if you're, you weren't into the jam band scene. So who were some of the influences that you, that you listened to? Uh, yeah. So my f- first favorite drummer, uh, was Carter Beauford, you know, my, my older Mine sister got, got me into Dave Matthews when I was younger. And like, before I knew anything about the jam scene or anything like that, I knew Dave Matthews and Carter Beauford. Um, and then, you know, when I got into middle school and high school, I started getting into the fusion guys. Um, got really into Dave Weckl and he was like my favorite in middle school. Then I went to went with my dad to go see a Weckl show and Dave couldn't make it. And it was Dennis Chambers instead. Oh. And so I was bummed because I, I didn't know who Dennis Chambers was. And I was like an eighth grader about to see my favorite drummer, Dave Weckl. <laughs> uh, and then the show started and it was all good. Very quickly <laughs> And then you that. learned who Dennis yeah. Chambers was. <laughs> yeah. And then, so yeah, so, so Dennis and then really big into Vinnie Coyuta. Um, and then just like got into all, all the fusion guys from there and, and then started getting, once I went to Berkeley and did the five week program, got, got introduced to, you know, the gospel musicians, uh, all like the gospel, hip hop, neo soul drummers, like Chris Dave and guys like that, mm-hmm. um, started getting really, really into them and, and never gave, you know, someone like Fishman, uh, really a second thought really just because I was an idiot because now I listen to him and I'm like, he's a fusion master. Like this guy yeah. is incredible. Um, but yeah, I've, I've gone through, I've, I've had a lot of, a lot of drummer influences over the time. I've definitely spent a lot of time just like on drummer world and going down YouTube holes and watching drum videos and trying to learn licks and things like that. Yeah. Do you, are you a, are you a diligent practicer? Yeah, I, I am. Uh, it's, it's kind of, Different now. I was always the kid, especially at Berkeley. Like I'd be practicing like six to ten hours a day. Um, I was always in the practice rooms. Um, now I'm still a diligent practicer. I, I try to, you know, just for physical purposes. I'm I'm a, a little older and and aging, and uh, you know, trying to just do everything to basically get myself ready for tour. And uh, it, it kind of takes a toll. You know, what we do every night is two sets and an encore. So it's mm-hmm. not it's not like just like you know a ninety minute said it's you know going full force for you know two and a half hours three hours plus um and it's it's definitely a lot so most most of my practicing these days is is really all about just trying to get my technique relaxed um mm-hmm. and i'm always working on my time always working with a metronome um and, and yeah really just working on focusing on relaxed technique taking everything i've learned over the years and doing it quieter and slower and feel better um yeah, and, and it really, you know, depends. Like, you know, right now we're, we're having goose rehearsals a bunch. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, in my basement as much on my kit. Uh, but, you know, when I have gaps, I definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm grinding and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm putting in definitely a few hours throughout the day. Uh, I just try to break it up a little bit more now. Sure. 
and I would imagine that, well, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine a lot of that, that diligent practice was instilled in you when you were at Berkeley. Yeah, for sure. You know, things like, uh, the rudimental ritual, uh, I don't know if you know that the exercise. Dawson. Yeah. Yeah. The Dawson one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Like I would do that multiple times at different, different tempos and different dynamics. Um, I, I even like would make my own sections of it with different, uh, like odd sticking rudiments and, I'd be really rudiment about, you know, spending time doing warmups uh, to a metronome. So I'm working on my time and my technique. And then I'd always want to make sure I, work, I was working my groove in my pocket and literally just try to, you know, sit in an easy groove and do nothing else but that groove and make it feel good for a while. Um, and then I would, you know, spend time playing the music or working on whatever material uh, I was working on at the time. And, and back then, especially at school, I was doing a lot of transcribing. Um, and just a lot of reading and writing, a lot of, way way more than I do these days. Mm-hmm. I think it's such an underrated underrated task to just sit there and just try to play, like try to play a groove for five minutes without doing a fill or hitting a cymbal. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I would try to. I mean, probably only did this a handful of times, but I, I would, you know, sit with your basic rock beat and try to sit with that for an hour, uh, and that was like oh. that was like a difficult meditation. Um, but, it, you know, doing that a couple of times, I remember like a, a drastic change in how I felt playing after completing that my first time. Hmm. Um, it, it's sneaky hard. It's, it, it takes it's, a lot of It focus. is very hard. Yeah. I challenge anyone, sit down behind the kit, play a groove for five minutes, don't play a fill, don't play a cymbal. Five minutes, yeah. right? You're talking about an hour, which to me, I'm like, that sounds like torture. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's been a while. It's, I, I definitely, you know, I wouldn't want to make that a regular thing. That that might test my patience a little bit, but yeah. it'd be great for my groove for sure. Yeah, and I can see how it turns meditative, and and you you would start to just feel it all over, you know, different places, and and you could move things around while you're still staying in that in that groove. So maybe I'll have to try that. Yeah, I mean, for an hour, I think I don't know if I could do an hour. Yeah, let me know how it goes. I, I should try it again. I mean, it's been. I mean, I'm 33 now, and I probably haven't done that since I was, you know, 18 to 22 in my Berkeley days. So it's it's been a while. I'm curious if I could if I could last these days. Well, I'm gonna try. I'll I'll report back and let you know. I'll let you know how my nine minutes go. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, you had mentioned that that you're getting ready for tour, and with with everything that happened in 2020, there's a couple there's a couple friends of mine who are in bands that are that are on an upward trajectory and are like playing bigger, bigger shows, um, you know, getting to, getting to a bus, uh, now, now have crew and just like really get, they're on their way. Right. And then the pandemic hit and I was, and, and I haven't like explicitly asked any of them, but it's, it's to me, I'm like, man, that could be a really big buzzkill for a band that's on that's on their way up. I look at you guys like you guys are not at the peak yet. You guys are climbing very, very well and climbing. Uh, do you feel like 2020 hurt you guys, um, or do you think it pents up just more more desire to go see live music and go see you guys particularly? I think we were extremely fortunate with the timing and how our growth had accelerated just before everything kind of shut down. Uh, we were, we were on a six week tour opening uh, again for our friends and pigeons playing ping pong. Mm-hmm. It was a six week tour opening and we made it till 
I think we had three shows left when it got canceled due to COVID and everyone went home and everything shut down. And at that time we were supposed to, I think a couple weeks later had our, our own, like a, just like a two week headlining tour. But that was the first time that we had moved up to venues that were like, you know, 400 to a thousand people and we had sold out everything. And that was a huge jump for us. And that was going to be kind of from there on out, like that was supposed to be our growth. And so all of a sudden I found myself just with, with nothing. And, uh, it was, it, you know, definitely took a toll right away. Um, mm -hmm. was very bummed and didn't really know what to do. Uh, fortunately we just, we have the best management team and just our team in general. And right away, you know, while we were in the van riding back from that tour, we hadn't even gotten home yet. And we had already planned, uh, a live stream from our bass player's house. Um, and we started putting up streaming content and, and because we had such a buzz before everything shut down, people checked out our streams and they liked them. Uh, and then we kind of went even further and did our own like live streaming festival, this thing we, we called bingo tour. Um, and that boosted us just into the point that these socially distanced shows started happening at like drive-in movie theaters and things like that. And, through the streams and bingo tour that kind of boosted us just big enough to be able to play these venues that were, you know, now 1800 to 25 people. Um, mm -hmm. And so like the timing worked out perfectly that all of a sudden we now found ourselves, you know, playing these sold out headlining shows, to, you know, over 2000 people. And that was crazy for us. And then that continued and, and it's just, everything's kind of just, it hasn't really slowed down since then. Um, so finally, now we get back into this fall tour and we finally get to go back into clubs. And you know, just last weekend, it technically kicked off. We had uh, two shows at Terminal 5 in New York City. Um, mm -hmm. And man, it, it felt so great to you know be in a room looking at like, I mean, I've never gotten to play for that many people before all this happened. And now all of a sudden, like, we're just like, that's the new norm is like 3000 people packed in a box like that. And uh, it's it's crazy to say the least, you know, I, I feel really lucky. Um, you know, I'm more used to playing empty rooms for a couple people, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, what's happened since quarantine, it has been really nuts. Um, yeah. So I'm, you're I'm, playing bigger yeah. show. You're playing like fresh out of quarantine. You're going back. Not only are you getting back to live shows, but you're getting back to bigger live shows than you were playing beforehand. Yeah. So, and, and just to put things in perspective, I think before we went on tour at opening for Pigeons, we had a fall tour headlining and we were playing it. it our, our, the rooms were like, you know, two to 400 person rooms. Right. Um, and then now, now it's pretty much, you know, one to 5,000 people anywhere in the country. That's amazing. It's, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's it's a lot, but it's awesome, and I'm very very glad that it's happened like it has. That is that is real. I mean, it's it, because, like you said, you guys are very fortunate. A lot of people, you know, COVID was not great for a, a lot of people, uh, but the fact that you're coming out of it like in a whole, it's a, for you guys, it's like a whole new world. Like uh, we're playing, you know, 400 seat clubs to playing 3,000 seat. That's pretty amazing that that you can. Yeah, you could continue to climb during COVID. Yeah. And and I, I have a lot of friends in different bands that, you know, some of them used this time to their benefit and have really grown. And other ones, it's been really tough. And and I, I feel for a lot of those people out there that, 
you know, weren't necessarily in the situation to take advantage of, of this time because, you know, no one was expecting it and it's tough to be prepared. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I, we, we got lucky in, in a lot of senses with it. It's inter interesting that you say that now because thinking back over COVID, I feel like I saw more from you guys. Like I was seeing, I felt like I was seeing, and maybe I'm just imagining this, but I felt like I was, I saw more videos or more posts about you guys or more people posting and just like, were you putting out more content than you normally do? Or yeah. was it just like this snowball effect? Yeah, I think we were all kind of frustrated. We were about, you know, seeing our growth, uh, you know, just get canceled in front of us. And so then we found ourselves in a position where we wanted to do something about it. And, you know, everyone, all of our friends were so bummed that these shows have gotten canceled and people weren't, weren't going to get to see live music. And we were like, you know, I'm, I remember we were like, wait, we can, yeah, we can put on a stream and play for people and everyone will be home like stuck, but they can watch the stream and that it's awesome for us and it's awesome for them. It's kind of win-win. And, and we definitely just took advantage of kind of trying to, trying to be there for people. Uh, but also like we had, you know, a fire underneath us and, and wanted to grow like we should have been growing. Mm -hmm. There was some, you did a show, um, was there one, there was one that you did that I saw and I, I don't know, was there, I don't know if there was no one in the crowd. Um, did you guys do a show like on a stage that there was no, there was nobody in the crowd at all or was it a drive up? Uh, so we did, we did a few different things, um, right off the bat before all like the drive-in socially distant shows, like pod show or whatever variations of all those, um, started happening. Uh, we did a couple of things. First, we, we, we did a series, we just called it live from T's house. T is Trevor, our bass player. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we have a couple of videos where we just set up in his living room and, and had, you know, just set up our light, like a basic light set up and got video. Uh, but then what we did for Bingo Tour, that was like a way more involved thing where we um, we found a property with this barn that was like the most incredible barn. Like the, it, it was it was on this this billionaire owned it. And this guy is literally like a billionaire philanthropist who loves Jerry and the Grateful Dead and is the man. And has Does he have a massive car collection. I don't know. I mean, he's a billionaire, so probably, but I, I didn't see it. Do you know? Do you do you know his name? I I uh, I know his name is Greg. Okay, I was wondering if that was the uh, what the heck is his name? The something Buddha. The uh, anyway, go ahead. Sorry, but but no, all good. So basically, th this guy, uh, you know, we had heard about his his music barn and his property because uh, uh, Sam Bardini, uh, Goose's front of house sound engineer, a good buddy of mine. Uh, had done some with another venue, some rental work where he had brought gear to this guy's house. And basically this, this barn is like a, it's like a million dollar barn with all reclaimed wood and all treated with like studio foam and all of it. It's, it's just so acoustically treated. It's like the nicest studio and just like a sweet vibe. This, this really sweet barn room with a, with a stage that we actually took out so we could have our full setup in there. And we, we had our, our whole production team, you know, lights, video, camera uh live stream director our our coach <laughs> that's a whole other story uh, that we had a whole team and, and we set up in this barn and we did four nights four four live stream nights of music where we dictated what we played uh based on the bingo balls that we were like rolling a, a bingo thing and pulling balls <laughs> and uh and that it was like a interactive thing because people at home 
you know, who bought the package, they would get a printout bingo board with songs on it. You know, like we hired like a bingo guy, like we found the bingo expert to help like, <laughs> like program, like, you know, he knows all the, the algorithms and the statistics and the numbers for how many winners. And, you know, people had boards at home and they were watching their show and crossing off the songs as they went. And if they got bingo, they'd have to email first. And, you know, the first people to email with a winning board would get prizes. Um, That's so, awesome. So we gave the, the people like, you know, who were, you know, everyone had been kind of shocked and depressed and not really doing anything. All of a sudden, they found themselves engaged with a whole internet community and a live stream playing this game. Um, and, and people really like went at it in full force. And that that boosted everything a lot. That's so awesome. And plus the inter the the interaction with the fans and the band, I think that that helps deepen that connection too. That's awesome. A hundred percent. And actually while while I talk about that, I just gotta give a shout out to Goose's crew. Um, because you know, for the for the longest time, like it was a running joke. I, I'd tell everyone I'm in a tier seven jam band with a tier one production team. Uh, <laughs> and and it's cause I don't know about the, the whole tiers, it's like a jam band. It's a dumb thing. It's it's not something that anyone should should care about ever uh but our production team like we just we we have the young people who are our good friends they're our family and have been learning along with us and growing at the same time as us and got us to a point where we were just able to put out content that like music aside we were getting all these compliments just on the production of what we're put at putting out um and i think that you know that gave us a lot of respect and like in a lot of like professionals eyes that we could put out content like that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Man. Um, so yeah. So the, the, the Gettys, Danny coach, Naveed, Sam. Uh, yeah. All, all those, like we, we just have the best crew ever. And, th and that's actually another thing, just going back to, you know, what does it, you know, take as a young band, try to grind and, and do this. Uh, one big thing is, you know, in not just the band members, but you got to find your band family. It's like a small family that extends past that, whether it's people that are on the road with you or just supporting all the time. Like there's, there's more than just the band and it's really important to grow that and harbor that uh, in a really fun environment. Cause that's going to make things spread like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, sorry. just got kind of off topic there, but those guys are no, just incredible and, and literally like allowed us to, do what we have been doing that has gotten us here where we are. Uh, so yeah, they're awesome. The, the people behind the scenes are just as important, if not more important than the people on the bandstand. That is 100% for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't do it without those guys. Um, so speaking of tour, you guys have a big, um, you guys have a big fall tour coming up, right? Yeah, we have a, it's about three weeks. It was like 15 or 16 shows, something like that. Um, yeah, pretty pumped about it. We actually, um, start to the 29th, um, Portland state theater. We're going to Worcester after that, which that's actually really cool for me. Cause the Worcester Palladium is the first, the first show I ever went to outside of my town. Uh, when I was younger growing up, really? like, I went with like two, like, I, I think I'd been with, with my dad, to, like some couple jazz shows, but the first show I ever got like dropped off with friends to go see a show, uh, was at the Worcester Palladium. Um, and so we're playing there. So I'm pumped about that. That's um, awesome. And then let's see, Atlanta, New Orleans, Houston. Well, I guess it's the whole. So I yeah. mean, you guys are on the road until until March. I mean, there's uh, yeah, well, here there, we're we're on the road until uh, November 22nd. Uh, then we have a we have a few weeks off, or just a 
yeah, a few weeks off around Thanksgiving time. Um, and then we come back for our big Goosemas, which is like our, our, our biggest event. We've, we, every year since the band has been around, we've, we've done a Goosemas, a holiday party. Nice. Um, and this one, it, it's kind of crazy. You know, what started out as like 150 people in a basement with kegs. Um, now this year is going to be at the, the arena at Mohegan Sun. Uh, so I'm very excited for that, and that's hopefully, pretty awesome. Hopefully, won't lose everything I make at the tables that night. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, and then going into next year, we have a pretty good spring tour. We're gonna get out to the West Coast. Um, yeah, and a whole bunch of dates all the way, all the way, pretty much through March and April that we've now announced. Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna see why you guys are at the uh, the Fonda here in LA. Hell yeah! Hit me up. I know a guy. I I, I will. I will. <laughs> I'll let you know uh, when I'm coming out. So yeah. Uh, well, man, I, this is, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the, the time to chat and I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for you guys because I mentioned earlier that I love, I love bands that are, I call them homegrown bands. I don't, maybe I made that up. I don't know, but I love bands that just have built themselves up from the ground up, you know, not, not being just like put in and I, because I know how hard it is. Like I did it for 12 years. I get it. Um, so I, one, applaud you guys, but two, I'm just like, I'm so excited. I love watching the rise of a band. Like the, my buddies in the revivalists I, are the same way though. Oh so man, just, those guys are so good. And they're just like, on, like, and they just grinded, you know, they just built this band from nothing. And I love, that makes me so happy to see. So I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. Yeah. Those are, are you, are you buddies with the drummers? I am. Yeah. I, uh, man, a few years ago I was at, uh, the outlaw fest in Hartford. It was, uh, like Phil and friends um uh and, and a whole bunch of other people and uh the revivalists were on that and i was backstage there not through any of my own connections uh i was there with a buddy who was uh willie nelson's uh like cousins with willie nelson's lawyer some random connection it was willie <laughs> nelson's bike so i ended up backstage and i ended up meeting uh the, the drummer uh, and i'm blanking on his name right now um andrew no no um uh shit what's his name it, it, the, the black dude, I don't know. He was, he was the man. I, I went up to him, started talking and like, we had a whole bunch of mutual friends and he just like gave me the time of day and was like a sincere, just a nice dude. And it, it really meant a lot. Cause those guys like that, they, they had just blown my mind. I, I didn't really know much about the revivalists and man, that rhythm section especially is you know, they're, they're monsters. Yeah, they are. Uh, th I mean the whole band. So Pete, that's PJ that you were talking about yeah, and uh, yeah. PJ Howard. And he, uh, yeah, he joined the band. I mean, he I mean, he's been in the band for years now, but he he joined the band later on. Uh, but that whole but the whole band is just the whole rhythm section is amazing. And and I saw I I actually found the revivalist because I saw David Shaw play with uh, with Galactic. Oh, and I was like, and he was singing. And I was like, damn, this is great. And then I met him backstage, and he was like, he's like, oh, you should check out my band called The Revivalist. And I was like, okay, cool. And I checked him out, and I was like, oh, these guys are <laughs> awesome too. Yeah. So uh, that was years ago, but uh, but but just that, like seeing seeing them, you know, be playing at like, you know, they were playing at uh, like Irving Plaza or something like that, and then they're like headlining Red Rocks. I'm like, that's amazing. It's yeah. awesome. Well deserved. Well deserved for sure. But I just love, I love the, uh, I love the grind mentality. I love the, you know, the work ethic that goes into it, and and uh, people who just develop it organically. I love it. Oh yeah. 
Well, my man, I again uh, appreciate you doing this, and then and also just want to let you know, uh, you know, be safe out there on the road, and and uh, keep that positivity going, keep the good music coming, and uh, hope to have you back on the podcast sometime. Yeah, man, Nick, thank you so much for having me, man. Like, of course, the, the list of people you've had on here is so legendary, uh, and who are, I, like, I cannot even you know hold a candle to. Hey, hey, there you have it, Mr. Ben Atkin. You can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 636. Also, you can check out goosetheband.com, G-O-O-S-E, theband.com. And if you haven't already, please leave a rating or review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they call it now. And they change, I don't know, they change the name a lot. Uh, so if you leave a rating or review on there, I would truly appreciate it. Plus, it shows up higher in the search results when people are looking for drumming podcasts. But here's the thing. If you leave a review, send me a screenshot of it or email it to me or tag me in social on social media or something like that because I can't respond to the reviews. So I want to thank you personally if you leave a review. So leave a review, share it on social, and tag me in it so that I can personally thank you and we can talk one-on-one. I would love that. So other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.